Good evening, everyone. Last week, we talked about infighting among the early pioneers of psychoanalytic theory, where Freud feuded with and purged anyone who dared to modify his ideas. By the end of that period, though, psychoanalysis was very influential in Europe, while still being unheard of in the United States. However, that is about to change. But first, let's wind back time a little and talk about the origin of psychiatry in America. The father of American psychiatry is generally considered to be Benjamin Rush, who was actually one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Rush was a pioneer for advocating that mental illness was, well, an illness, and not a moral failing. And like Pinnell from episode 3 of this season, he was known for freeing mental patients from chains in asylums. However, Rush also had his faults. His main hypothesis about mental illness was that it was caused by a lack of blood flow. In order to treat this, you just had to get that blood flowing again, which he thought could be accomplished by using a rotational chair, which is exactly what it sounds like. Think a swiveling office chair, but sturdier, and with an unfortunate mental patient strapped into it as it spins. Patients would be spun until their psychiatric symptoms were replaced with new ones like dizziness and vomiting. Just lovely. Another idea of Rush's was that mental illness was caused by too much visual or auditory stimulation, for which he invented the tranquilizer chair. This one's not exactly what it sounds like, because they didn't really have modern tranquilizers yet, so instead the physician would just place a box over the patient's head so they couldn't see or hear anything, and were probably really bored. Yet another treatment that Rush liked using, laxatives. He made his own custom laxative pills for his patients, which they nicknamed Rush's Thunderbolts. It seems Rush really wanted his patients to have empty digestive systems. Now look, these treatments seem pretty kooky now, and they likely didn't work at all, but Rush did a lot of good in advocating for more humane treatments of the mentally ill, and these treatments I just mentioned, weird as they may be, were definitely still better than being chained up or beaten, like many mental patients of the day were. But after Rush, not much really happened in American psychiatry. American psychiatry got stuck in the alienist phase, with psychiatrists mostly working to reform asylums and treat patients humanely, but not focusing very much on treatment. Not until Sigmund Freud showed up for the first, and actually the only time, in 1909. Freud had been invited to speak at Clark University by the founder of the American Psychological Association, and to receive an honorary doctorate from the university. It was the first time Freud's work received any recognition in the United States, but to clarify, it wasn't a lot of recognition. Freud was not the headliner of the lectures, and he basically got no media coverage. However, as always, Freud was a great speaker, and he impressed a lot of folks in his short time here. One prominent physician and psychologist told Freud that, quote, The future of psychology belongs to your work. Most notably, an influential professor of nervous system diseases at Harvard really liked Freud's talks, and invited him to his country estate. Freud worked his magic, and they talked for four days, after which the professor publicly endorsed Freud and helped organize the first meeting of the American Psychoanalytic Association, which confusingly has the same acronym as the American Psychology Association. However, while Freud did impress some important people, it wasn't quite enough to make an immediate impact. Two decades later, in 1929, the American Psychoanalytic Association had just 92 members across the entire United States. It was smaller than the Senate at the time, which had 96 members. 
While some wealthy and educated patients in New York knew about psychoanalysis, it was basically unheard of anywhere else. Like, you know, universities or medical schools or asylums. Places where psychiatrists actually worked. If you'll recall your world history, though, the 1930s are a very volatile time. You might recall also that Sigmund Freud lived in Vienna, part of Austria, and that he was ethnically Jewish. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism was incredibly common at the time, and Freud actually went out of his way to try to avoid associating psychoanalysis with Jews, for fear that anti-Semitism would damage his movement. But Freud's first clients were Jewish. His first disciples were Jewish. And even at the peak of the Wednesday Psychological Society's size, there was literally only one person who was not a Jew in the membership. The problems came especially when Hitler rose to power and brought with him rampant and overt anti-Semitism. Being a Jew became continually more dangerous in Central Europe, and so many of the Jewish psychoanalysts fled for their lives to other countries. There were more targeted attempts to suppress psychoanalysis as a theory, too. Shortly after Hitler took power, there was a book burning in Berlin, specifically of psychoanalytic books, and including all of Freud's. The leading psychiatric organization in Germany was taken over forcibly by the government, and every single Jew or psychoanalyst was expelled. Freud stayed in Vienna, though, for as long as he thought he could. At one point, a swastika was draped across his building's doorway. But in 1938, Nazi soldiers raided his apartment, which must have been incredibly frightening. The soldiers, however, were weirdly polite. At the request of Freud's wife, they left their rifles in the hallway and addressed Freud as Herr Professor. Much less polite, they seized about $840 in today's money. Freud, 82 years old at this time, finally decided it was time to leave. He ultimately paid about $200,000 in today's money for a visa to take his family and possessions with him to Great Britain. In the span of a few years, the psychoanalysis movement of Europe had been snuffed out by Nazism, with its practitioners fleeing from their homes. But while Freud himself ended up in London, most of the psychoanalysts actually fled to the United States, especially in big cities and New York. These new folks, often having interacted directly with Freud, were welcomed with open arms by the tiny psychoanalytic movement in the United States of the time. With this, the psychoanalytic movement in the United States began to flourish, spreading with it ideas about the unconscious mind, but also the dogmatic practices and beliefs. And so, through the rise of the Nazis in Europe, the psychoanalytic movement was actually forced to move across the sea, and would now take root in the United States. Next week, we'll talk through the rise of psychoanalysis, again, but this time here in the United States, instead of in its original home of Europe. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying the show. Feel free to reach out with the links in the show notes, I'm always happy to hear from folks. And as always, thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for our music.